0: Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in dallas fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you're here. This Wednesday, we heard the first message of a new series from Pastor McLaughlin entitled, Committed to the Call. This service is relevant, instructional, and encouraging. We hope that it ministers to you today. 18 I'm going to read eight verses out of the New King James Version, and I will focus on, um, primarily, I will focus on one verse. I'll focus on one verse. Acts 18, verse 1 through 8. When you found it, say amen. When you're following the media team on the projector, say amen. You have it on your phone. Say amen. amen. When you don't have it, say amen. amen. Oh, 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 who did that? You, did, sister, what? <laughs> 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 what, brother, wiser say? <laughs> I don't know who she is. <laughs> I hope you know who she is you married her. <laughs> we're going to read we're going to read the word of the Lord together. Acts chapter 18 verse 1. After these things. Well, what you would want to do if you were studying the Bible is find out what things, after what things. After these things, <clears throat> Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, political power here, had commanded that all the Jews depart from Rome. So he came to them. And just a little side note, just recognize and understand anytime God allows pressure to come on you or stress to come into your life, It can literally direct you and push you right where the Lord wants you. It's never a comfortable thing. But God knew what he was doing in the city of Corinth. And he needed Aquila and Priscilla to get there to become team ministry with the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas. And so God oftentimes, because a lot of times we get comfortable, and God will allow pressure and discomfort. ...to put us exactly where we need to be to fulfill his will. And so this is kind of what's going on here in verse 2. Verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked... ...for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia... Paul was compelled by the Spirit, to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now, for now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and he entered into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house. Many of the Corinthians, notice, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. So this was the birth of the church in Corinth. So by the time you get to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, there was a bit of a history. And but this is where the birth of the church is occurring. And so uh, then Paul writes first and second Corinthians, and so someone says, Well, look at that, Brother McLaughlin. Verse eight, right there, those believers in Corinth believed on the Lord. They were saved, but it doesn't say that they spoke in tongues. Well, you need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to find out. They were probably the most tongue-talking church uh, in the New Testament. There was a normative, and this is a whole other subject, but there was a normative plan of salvation in the New Testament Um, just like when you and I are talking and I would say to you, yeah, man, they were born again. Well, you know what born again means. When I say that they were born again, meaning they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. And they received the Holy ghost speaking with tongues. That was the normative plan of salvation. Um, A a, a chapter and a passage of scripture that would support that argument would be Acts chapter 11. And so when when Peter is refuting the Jews and he says they received the, the Holy Ghost just as we did in the beginning. Well, it never said that they spoke in tongues, but just as we did in the beginning, he was pointing all the way back to the day of Pentecost. And so there was this normative pattern of salvation in the New Testament. You didn't have all these denominations and all these different beliefs. There was one common doctrine, and, and that was Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And, and so we see this occurring here. I want to talk to you tonight from this subject, Committed to the call, committed to the call, and and I will I will pay specific attention to verse one. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. and And my subject again is committed to the call. Uh, I was working on this today, and Brother Trimmer was helping me put some slides together and uh, he said brother McLaughlin should we make this a series I said why'd you say that (laughs) no I didn't ask him that question but he knows me and so probably I will actually teach maybe two to three lessons on this and and, uh, but I want to talk to you tonight from this thought committed to the call can we pray together I love you Lord Pray for a deep, deep, deep commitment. A commitment to you that's bigger than this world or anything that's in this world. A commitment to you, to the call that you've placed on our lives, the call to be saved. The call to do your will. I pray, God, that you would give us strength to accomplish your purpose and your will. And that if a renewed commitment is necessary, let there be a renewed commitment to be completely sold out to you, who you are, and this beautiful apostolic truth that we hold so dearly. I love you so much, Lord, and I give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing in honor of the word of the Lord. Thank you for your prayers. To be clear... I'm not really dealing too much with the call to preach. I'm not dealing with the call to teach. I'm not dealing with the fivefold ministry, the call to be an apostle, the call to evangelize. Um, I'm not dealing with that. So if, if we were going to define call, what I would say is just the call to salvation. You were called to be saved. You cannot let anything in your spirit. You cannot let any relationship with anyone, Get in the way of being saved. You and I are called to be saved and stay full of the Holy Ghost. If I could pause for just a moment and say your salvation has to be much deeper than goosebumps on a Sunday that depart by Monday and a young girl walks into your life not in the faith, and all of a sudden you have more of a commitment level to her than you do to the truth and to Jesus Christ, that we need to renew the passion and the fire of our commitment to salvation. The Holy Ghost has to be first in our lives. To the young adults, man, don't let loneliness hit you. Don't let that spirit try to get a hold of you to where you would compromise and marry somebody that's going to cut your ministry in half. Marry somebody that's going to double your ministry, and until God brings that person, do not compromise your standards. Don't water down the doctrine. Say, well, you know, they don't believe in speaking in tongues, but I think if I could get them in the church, you better run as fast as you can. That's not who you want to be unequally yoked together with. We are called, and we must be committed. Holy Ghost comes first. Dating relationship is dictated by the power of the Holy Ghost, not by the power of fickle emotions. Let God fill you full of the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost dictate who you will walk with, who you will date, who you will be friends with. Some of you that have insecurities and you just got to be popular. You've got to have the approval of everyone. You've got to be liked by everyone. The Holy Ghost has to get a hold of you and let you know. Everybody's not going to like you when you walk holy. you got to get over that and say, I don't need everybody's approval. I don't need this world's approval. I'm not looking for the world to approve me. I want His approval. I am committed to my call to be saved. A relationship, money, a job, nothing, bitterness, anger, hatred, disagreements, misunderstandings is not bigger than my Holy Ghost. And I am committed to being saved. I'm not going to let you offend me toward I get so offended that I backslide. I'm committed to being saved. You can go into false doctrine if you want to and believe there are two gods or three gods. I don't care how smart you are. I am committed to this doctrine there's only one God his name is Jesus and we need a fresh commitment to doctrine I don't care if you say you got some new revelation and holiness is not necessary anymore I'm sorry I am more committed to Jesus Christ and holiness than a brand new revelation that you receive from God There is no more revelation outside of the inspired Word of God. So if your revelation violates this, it's not from God. Maybe from the devil. Maybe from Satan, but not from God. Can we clap our hands and give God praise? I am so committed to this salvation. I am so committed to this doctrine. I am totally sold out to the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, and so unequivocally, we're committed to salvation, and and that's what I'm talking about primarily when I'm talking about committed to the call. We're looking at the Apostle Paul, and he had at least three missionary journeys. Some believe he had four, but let's run with the traditional three. His missionary journey, number one, is from Acts chapter 13, verse 4, to Acts chapter 15, verse 35, and it was the timeline of 46 to 49 A.D. Missionary journey number two, which is what we'll talk about tonight, just a portion of it, was Acts 15, 36 to Acts 18, which is the text that we read tonight, 22 Timeline here is 50 to 52 A.D. And then his third missionary journey was Acts chapter 18 verse 23 to Acts chapter 21 verse 17. And the timeline there was 54 to 58 A.D. And so now let's take a look at Paul's second missionary journey. We won't take a look at all of it. But what we will take a look at is, is his, his little journey. You'll see that he takes a journey from Athens and he goes over to Corinth. Or on the map there you would see Ephesus. You would see Ephesus and then you see where he is sailing over into Athens. And then he goes to Athens and from Athens he goes to Corinth. This all was going on in his second missionary journey. So to bring it a little bit closer to home let's go to the next slide. We'll go to the next slide and this is what we don't know. We don't know whether he went by water or whether he went by land. So if he's in Athens in, in Acts chapter 18 verse 1 it says that he went from Athens to Corinth. So when we take a look at the map there's Athens to, to the right of the map. If he sailed, then you see the area that he sailed. If he went by land, then he had to go around. Um, And so this is, and we don't know. The Bible does not tell us about that. But it does tell us, history tells us a little bit about what he was dealing with. And so when he was in Athens, he, he was there. And some of the things that he dealt with, next slide, was this is the Acropolis. And this was a little, it was a mountain, it was a mountainous area... And and there, there were a lot of spirits there. This is an area where he, um, this isn't Mars Hill, but Mars Hill was close to this area. Next slide. Next slide shows the Isthmus, or it shows where he would have traveled from. And so this is the Gulf and the Isthmus of Corinth. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. I'm just trying to paint the picture here. So when he finally gets to Corinth, you'll see some of the excavations there. And so this is, he's leaving Athens. He's going into Corinth. And one of the, and so, so you're taking a look at Athens and everything that happened there in the first missionary journey and then he goes in Acts chapter 18 he's going into Corinth and it was there that we picked up and we read the scriptures where there were certain disciples that believed on the Lord and they were baptized so you see this apostolic church birth in Corinth. Now you can take a look and you can journey with the apostle Paul um, through all of his missionary journeys one common thread one common thread because I mean after all you go you and I would go as, as tourists and we would go and we would want to check everything out Paul was not going there to be a tourist he wasn't going there with a tour guide to show him all of the cool things about Athens and about Corinth he was going there to plant a church When you're there as a tourist, you may not run into the principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. But when you go to plant a church, because you're literally invading Satan's territory, and when you go into that place, I promise you, if you're trying to start a church, if you're trying to teach a Bible study, you are going to get your head knocked off at times. That is going to happen. You've got to make sure that you are committed to the call of God on your life. You're called to salvation. Second thing you and I are called to is to teach a Bible study and win a soul. You and I, until the day day we die, our responsibility is to reach the lost. Hell does not want the church moving in and reaching the lost. So one of the common threads in Paul's life was planting churches. Making disciples by teaching doctrine strengthening churches that were on the verge of dying. And he was determined to, and I quote, Paul in 2 Timothy 4, seven and eight, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, And not me only, but unto all of them that also love his appearing. Let me pause right there. I may preach more about this on Sunday. But let me just say and point this out to you. Notice who's giving the crown. Paul never gives himself a crown. Be careful when you're building your calling and your ministry that you don't inadvertently crown yourself. Because when you crown yourself, uh, you're going to have to take care of yourself. But if you'll let God crown you. And you let God put the crown on you. And this was, this, if you look at the term crown, it was the Stephanos crown, not the diadema crown. Or you know, we sing the song, the royal diadem. That, that, is, a, that is a kingly crown. Paul's not talking about a kingly crown here. He's talking about a victor's crown, which was a martyr's crown. In other words, if you're going to be committed to your call, you're going to have to be willing to be a martyr. You're going to be offended, you're going to get upset, you're going to get angry, you're going to get mad. Corinth is not going to want you building a church there, but when you make up your mind, uh, I'll let God crown me, I'm not here to crown myself. Uh, I just want to finish the course and I'm going to fight this good fight of faith. Can I have a little bit of help in this place right now? you got to make up your mind. If you go to public school, you're not there to backslide. You're not there to become more worldly. You're not there to quit. You are an apostolic presence. You are a one God presence. You walk into that, if Paul can walk into Athens, if Paul can walk into Corinth and not compromise and not bend and not bow, you've got the same Holy Ghost You walk into that place and you do not bend and you do not bow. You just have to be committed to the call. Oh, can we give him praise right now? Yes, Lord. I feel like God's putting a call on a young person's life. Some of you have been questioning what you're supposed to do. Forget about the crown and become a martyr for Jesus Christ. And being a martyr, he'll crown you when it's ready to put a crown on you. Until then, you ought to feel privileged to carry a Bible. Feel privileged to have the Holy Ghost. Feel privileged to be able to teach a Bible study. Oh, can we give him praise? Help us, Holy Ghost. Help us be committed to this call. Stan Gleason said this. He said in his book about following the lead, discipleship making, please, if you don't have this book, it's on Audible. I would strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you, if you like to listen to it, if you're on a treadmill, if you're working out, if you're exercising, if you have to commute and drive and you need something to listen to, you can listen to Stan Gleason's book on discipleship making. If our church could do a quarter of what he says in reaching souls and discipleship making, there's a chapter in there and he talks in this chapter about how you walk in a room. And he said, you know, we're dealing with a generation where people walk into a room and it's, hi, meet me. He said, in a discipleship-making church, it can't be that you walk into the room and say, I'm here. You've got to walk into the room and say, who's here? Who am I supposed to befriend? Who am I supposed to love? You can clap right now. Yes. See, we need to change the culture of the church. Everybody's not waiting on you to walk through the door and bow down. Everybody's not waiting on me to get in this pulpit. What God wants you and I to do is walk in and say, who's here? Hey, man, Michael and Nancy, I'm so glad you're here tonight. It was awesome texting back and forth. And you said you would be here and you're here. So pumped and excited about that. Come on, Calvary. We got to be committed to a call. Not to put a crown on ourselves. Not to build ourselves up. Not to say, look what I've done. Be careful, Calvary. God will empower you. Be careful that you don't entitle yourself. When God empowers you with something, He never intended you to become carnal and fleshly and feel entitled about the power that He gave you. You have nothing without Him. And you and I are nothing without him. We, have, we own nothing. We're not entitled to anything. God called us to reach the lost. God called us to reach souls. It's not come hear me preach. It's how can I preach effectively so that I can reach somebody's heart, so that I can see a marriage put back together again, so that I can see somebody get the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. Calvary, let's change the culture of the church. It's about them, not us. I know, I know, I know that I've been preaching evangelistic. In fact, the Lord spoke to me in prayer and said, I need you to shift gears. You've been, all year you taught as a pastor and you'll always, I mean, if you're a pastor, it just kind of comes out even in the evangelistic preaching. But the Lord spoke to me and said, oh, so if you're gonna push for more Bible studies, which by the way, the month of January alone, we taught 17 Bible studies. (laughs) Three Holy Ghosts, two baptisms. Good things are happening at Calvary. It's being committed to the call. It's being committed to what we're really called to, reaching the lost, winning souls, teaching the doctrine and building the church. So then the question is asked, well then, how do I remain committed and finish strong? I'm going to give you a profound answer here. Die before you start. Mm -hmm. Anything's alive in your flesh, that's a price tag. And Satan will find out your price. How do I stay committed and finish strong? Die before you start. When James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, the ship captain tried to turn him back, saying to him, you're going to lose your life and you're going to lose the lives of those who are with you if you go among such savages. To that Calvert replied, we died before we came here. If you're going to finish strong, you've got to die before you ever start. Like the cannibals in the Fiji Islands, many things in your call will eat on you. People will eat on you and try to cannibalize you and destroy you and accomplish your purpose. There will always be a ship captain on the journey that doesn't understand your call and will try to get you to turn back and turn around. Cannibals and misdirected ship captains cannot stop a committed dead man. Paul could have died in Athens when he was defending the truth and standing against the philosophers on Mars Hill. Not far from Mars Hill was the Parthenon, but what they didn't know is they had a committed dead man on their hands. When you die before you go, there's nothing they can say to you that's going to offend you bad enough that you're going to quit. You already died out to all of that. And that's why Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm willing to bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. I am a committed man of God. We are a committed church. We died before we started. When you die before you start, there's no quitting in you. There's no place to turn around. There is no backsliding. There is no questioning doctrine because you died out to it. Can we give him praise tonight? Come on. Let's renew our commitment together. Let's renew our commitment together. The Parthenon, located in Athens, Greece, is a temple dedicated to the Greek goddess Athena. She was a goddess of war, a goddess of wisdom, a goddess of literature and language, and a goddess of arts. She ruled. She ruled. Along with Athena, the Hellenists. Conforming Jews to Greek culture. Paul knew this. He knew this when he went to Athens. He knew this. He he, he knew their commitment to this Greek goddess. The Parthenon's purpose served as a place of worship for the ancient Greeks. One of many uh, located in the temple called the Acropolis. The Athenian Supreme Court could have ruled when he went to Mars Hill, when Paul went to Mars Hill, and you have the Arapagus or the Athenian Supreme Court, the highest level of a court system. They could have ruled that Paul was a criminal and they could have had him executed. It would have done them no good because Paul had already died. When you're committed to something, when you're committed to something, things are going to happen to you that you didn't think would ever happen to you. From the devil, from people, from your family, from friends, from co-workers, from life in general, to see if there's a price tag in me and to see if there's a price tag in you. But when you die before you start, he said, none of these things move me. Do whatever you're going to do, but when all the dust settles, you're going to see the Apostle Paul preaching and planning churches and discipling people and hanging on to the doctrine and still teaching there's only one God and still teaching. Timothy, you're going to Ephesus. I need you to go ahead and become the pastor in Ephesus. And you need to know that the beast of Ephesus are going to be there. But I believe God's gift is on you. I believe you're a powerful, committed young man. And I know that the faith that was in your great-grandmother or your grandfather, your mother, that faith is in you also. Stand strong, Timothy, and be committed. You gotta die out before you ever start. You know, you can tell a lot about someone who's committed by what stirs them up. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. A little bit of a lengthy reading, but let's read it together. It's Wednesday night Bible study. Acts 17, 16 through 34. It says Paul in Athens, he's going to Mars Hill. He's going to refute the Epicureans, the Stoics, and the Greek philosophers who all they did all day long was sat around... You know, had lattes and let's uh, this, this hear some new doctrine. And that's what they said. Let's see what this babbler says. Interesting, interesting the word babbler is spermologos, logos, concept, thought, and, and the ability to reproduce. That's the term. What does I see with this babbler? Because it was very much, the, the term was a metaphor or it gave an analogy of a bird. A bird that would pick up a seed from the marketplace and then the bird would fly and would drop the seed and by virtue of dropping the seed it would go into the soil, it would germinate and then spring up and they would look around and say, how did that get there? we don't have that kind of tree here. We don't have that kind of plant here. Well, it came from the bird that went to the marketplace that picked up the seed. And so this is what this is what the Epicureans and the Stoics and the philosophers were saying when Paul brings Jesus to them because it was a new doctrine. And he's talking about the resurrection. And, and so they said, let's hear what this babbler says. Listen to me. Both ways, what we believe and what we deposit in the world has the power to come to fruition and be there when you and I are... Are long gone that's why we need young men and young women who are committed to the call that they will take the Word of God the name of Jesus and just take the seed and plant it in the school Start P7s and have a P7 and plant the seed in the school. And all of a sudden, when all of Sam Smith and and, and, and everything that's going on, and I'll get to that in a little bit, when they're doing their deal, we're not so much getting distracted with that as much as we are intentional and proactive about dropping the seed here and dropping the seed there and dropping the seed there. So that the apostolic truth goes into Athens and deroots or uproots <laughs> principalities and powers. And we 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 hype it up and and, and and we could go high right now. I was gonna tell you something. Hard, bloody, difficult, challenging work. Hard work. When you work with a soul for two and three and four years and you feel like you've put a lot of doctrine in, somewhere a seed gets in them. Somewhere something germinates inside of them in this tree of false doctrine never fails people that have walked away from the truth walked away from this church and and we and we remain civil and we rather have conversations and we would talk i said well, what just tell me what happened just what in the world inevitably all of the time they would say it was a long journey it was a long journey And I finally reached a place where what I believed inside my spirit, my heart, my mind is not what we would live in lifestyle. I talked to a preacher one time and I asked him, I said, man, what in the world? He said, Brother McLaughlin, he said, I don't have time to go into it all. He said, all I can say to you is everything I've been preaching, I have not believed it for a long time. I want to ask you a question. If it's someone extremely, if that was your pastor, if it was someone extremely close to you, do you love this enough to not back? slide. Do you love this enough to find a truth teaching and a truth preaching church? I'm not talking about commitment to a man. I'm not talking about commitment to a building. I'm not talking about commitment to a location. I'm talking about commitment to a God that became man. The God-man, 100% man, 100% God who was crucified on a tree, who rose again on the third day and gave us a gospel to preach. I am committed to him. I'm sold out to him. Do whatever you're going to do. I'm not moving away from this truth. And when it gets in you that much anything that opposes that stirs you up. It should stir you up when you look on Facebook or social media and people are posting things diabolically opposed to apostolic identity. Like it shouldn't you shouldn't be scrolling through there and just going, "Oh, I like that." Boom. "Oh, I like what?" Are you so intoxicated with social media you don't have any discernment or conviction? You got to have enough discernment and conviction to not like so- You may have to unfollow some people that have gone the wrong direction because your character, your love for truth, and your integrity is in question when you're liking things that are diabolically opposed to the Bible. You got to be committed to this calling. Can we clap our hands and give him praise? It's not okay. It's not okay to like worldly songs. It's not okay to like Hollywood. It's not okay to endorse things that are sinful. It's not funny. My wife, I I wish she was here. I know she's upstairs working with the children. My wife, my wife showed me some some Facebook pictures of a church, supposedly an apostolic church. You say, well, my Lord, you're gonna gonna go, you're gonna get that bold. Well, if they're bold enough to uh, post it on Facebook, I'm not gonna name the church. Pictures, they were doing a 1920s. This is 1920s night at an apostolic church. If you go through and scroll, there's one image, there's one image of of a man dressed and a woman scandalously dressed as a 1920, looks like a prostitute, with a bottle, a wine bottle in her hand. I'm not joking. I promise you, I saw it last night. Scroll a little bit further, and they were attired. And some of these people are on leadership stuff in a skirt that was up to here with with this. But here's the deal so all of that is not right, all of that is not good, all of that is bad, but the spirit that was coming out of it. Because then they're gonna leave that and get on a platform at a conference, at a district conference in the church, and then all of a sudden our younger generation they're having a hard time saying, Well, what's real here? Do we do we believe what they're saying on the platform or do we believe the 1920s party? Is it okay to do that stuff with a party and say, Oh, we were just having an entertaining party? I'm sorry. 24-7 we're apostolic. 24-7, we are Pentecostal, 24-7, we are holy. 24-7, we shun the very appearance of evil. 24-7, we do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if the love of the world is in you, the love of the Father is not in you. We've got to be committed now more than ever before. They can't look in your life and say, are you apostolic or are you not? Somebody help me preach in this place right now. I want to be committed to the call. Oh, yes, Lord. Stirs you up. I'll be real honest with you. I've been debating since then whether I'm supposed to take those and send them to Brother Bernard and say, what do we do here? You guys are asking us to sign an affirmation statement that we don't believe in this kind of stuff, but we're promoting this. What are we doing? So, so, listen, all it takes is like Stan Gleason, man, it's so powerful. In his book, he, he, in the audible, he said we're always one generation, always one generation away from losing the truth all it would take is this younger generation when they start getting up here to just get silent you don't even have to affirm false doctrine just get silent on the truth stop teaching and preaching holiness and all of a sudden men will start worldliness will start popping up in the church I know I'm getting ahead of myself right now, but you know, everybody's up in arms about Sam Smith and the Grammys, and we should be, that should stir us up. But I will be honest with you as a pastor, I don't think I'm living, now those of you that are going through Preparing and Rich, and you're coming certified in my class that I'm teaching, and the first thing we learn about the 10 core scales of uh, marriage and family dynamics is idealistic distortion. I don't think that I am a pastor with idealistic distortion. I honestly do not. I do not believe that I am looking through rose-colored glasses at the bride of Christ. And when I saw all of this, and I'm seeing, and I'm looking at that, and there are like pastors wives and people that are posting, "I, I can't believe that your kids are watching. And I'm like, what? We've moved from, we don't even have anything that we could watch that with. To now, you've let them watch it. So that was a whole other argument there. But I'm, in my mind, I'm going, man, thank God for Calvary. Thank God for a group of people that I know have not watched the Grammys. Thank God for a church for young people and for sold out, committed Christians that would never in their life sit down and turn something like that on and let that devil come into their eyes, let that devil come into their heart, let that transgender spirit come into them. Let all of those demonic spirits and satanic worship come into them. Thank God for Calvary, Pentecostal church and saints of God who would never let their children watch something like that. It never even, I never even worried about it. I never even thought, man, I'm going to have to get up and teach a 10-week series on something like this because I thought, I know Calvary and I know that the saints of God would never ever do that. That's my confidence. Oh my God, man, you got idealistic distortion. Well, you know, maybe. Don't get that quiet on me. <laughs> Come on, bride. Come on, bride. Don't get that quiet on me right now. <laughs> Tell you what, let me do. Actually, let's go for it. Verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, or at Athens, his spirit was what? Stirred. Here's what it means. If you have your blue letter Bible, you can probably click on it. Um, I actually pulled this up from a couple of different um, dictionaries, Greek dictionaries. The word stirred means aroused to anger. Listen, this is interesting. To sharpen or to wet, W-H-E-T, as in a whetstone. This word stirred means aroused to anger, to sharpen, to wet, to incite, to irritate. Metaphorically, it means to sharpen the mind, sharpen the temper, or sharpen the courage of someone. Paul's going through Athens, Parthenon, Acropolis. Athena. Literature. Arts. Entertainment. Sensuality. He sees the altars and he sees their devotion to the unknown God. And he is aroused to anger. And he is sharpened. In fact, so sharpened that he is sharpened metaphorically in the mind. He does not go into a fit of rage. He goes into some of the quotes from their own poet and says, I'll take that and I'll use it in my arsenal. He goes into creation that began with God and he started going methodically through his theological, doctrinal studies and he sharpens and wets his mind to create a rebuttal on Mars Hill so that when he's finished everyone understands this newfound Christian faith. He allowed the cultural compromise and the unknown gods to sharpen and stir him and used anger for his side, be angry and sin not. He didn't sin in it, he allowed this arousal to anger to cause him to prepare himself to present an apologetic or a defense of the gospel. And he was sharp. He pulled it all together. Boom. He knew what the Stoics were, he knew what the Epicureans were, he knew what the philosophers were. He knew what the, the Arapagus, or in fact, in fact, when we get down to the last verse, we're gonna see that the one by the name of Dionysius was an Arapagite. That meant that he was on that supreme court. So when he's giving the defense of the gospel, a brilliant man who was on the Arapagus or it was on the Athenian Supreme Court Dionysius heard him was convinced by what he was saying and also Damaris was a woman who if she was in that setting had to be a very influential powerful woman because typically she would not even been in their presence and so it was a very powerful woman and both of these believe and are converted because when Paul walks through Athens and he gets stirred up about what's going on in the culture he he doesn't lose his head. He doesn't lose his mind. But he does allow this uh, this inciting, this frustration. To prepare him to plant himself in Athens and say, you know what? Whatever the world is going to do, we're going to hold on to one God. Uh, We know that that one God created the world and it's in him that we live, we move, and we have our being. And we know that he was also the God that became flesh, died, but he resurrected. uh, And he was not going to let the Epicureans, the pleasure seekers of this world, compromise the holiness of the book. Look, if you're going to get mad, get mad. But sharpen yourself doctrinally. Sharpen yourself in the Bible. Don't go on rants on Facebook. Go into the prayer closet. Get your Bible out. Study the book. Wet your mind. Sharpen your mind to defend this truth in this hedonistic or epicurean hedonisms. Pleasure seekers. That that, that was what Epicurus was. It's just forget all morals. Let's seek pleasure and have fun in life. And it doesn't matter. You You can cross any boundary you want to cross as long as you're having fun doing it. That was the truth that they believed. Paul, he leveled the boom. He wrote to Rome. He wrote to Corinth. To Timothy, who would pastor in Ephesus, not far from here, and you're memorizing it. All this that I'm preaching and teaching you, you mem- the Bible quizzers memorizing Ephesians, Colossians, Colossae. All of this was going on. So, all those passages and verses you're memorizing, which is so awesome. I'm so proud of you. This is the context of it all. This is what's going on. Paul was my hero. Man, that dude was awesome. I'm serious. Wouldn't much look at, they say. Maybe five, six, five, eight, hunchback, bald head, beak, nose, bad eyesight, very possibly. If you looked at him, you wouldn't think, man, I'd knock it out of the park. But when he opened his mouth, I'll get to it in just a little bit. He said, but I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you with the demonstration, the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of preaching and the power of the Holy Ghost cuts through the devils of culture, cuts through all of the transgenderism, cuts through all of the nonsense. I don't care if it's in Athens, I don't care if it's in Corinth, or I don't care if it's in America in 2023. The Bible works. The preached Word of God works. We need a committed church who will sharpen your theological mind to stand If it's at Mars Hill, you know what to say. If you're in prison and a jailer is there, you know what to say. You read the context. You read the situation. And you become assertive in that situation. You with me? Paul was stirred in him when he saw the city was wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him and said, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him bef- unto the Arapagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all of the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and he said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and I beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing that he giveth all life and breath and all things and he hath made of one blood why did he say this right here because they believed in superior inferior Um, and and so he said no wait a minute if we're going to trace this back all in fact race is not even mentioned in the Bible it just talks about all every one of us comes from that one blood it didn't matter what color of, of, of skin it was he said if you want to date it all the way back there are no superior or inferior relationships we can go all the way back to one blood we can go all the way back to one blood I need some help in this place right now he said one blood has pulled us all together and I absolutely love what Victor Jackson said, and and and, and it's worth repeating. It's worth repeating, and just stay with me here. We're we're teaching together. We built, we we co-developed and co-taught intercultural missions from an apostolic perspective. And we were talking about default culture, and we were talking about color, and we were talking about race, and we were talking about ethnicity. We're talking about all this. Well, to have a Victor Jackson talk about all of this was powerful. And he told me, he said, Brother McLaughlin, you would be shocked and surprised at how much racism is still within the UPCI. And I'm not here to harp on any of that. This is what I want to say. This is what he said. He said, he said, it might be cliche for you to say that the blood makes us colorblind. He said, but that is not true. He said, I am black and I am proud of being black. You may be white and you need to be proud of being white. The blood does not take away our skin color. The blood pulls us all together and shows dignity and respect to every human being because we all have one blood. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, we better come together and have revival. You better come against that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We are committed to a call The different amount of melanin and how that affects your skin color has nothing to do with superior, inferior. Absolutely not. We've got the royal blood of Jesus Christ flowing through us. And we're all of one blood, one nation under God. By the blood, not governmental structure, not our currency, but by the blood. The blood should produce dignity and respect among all colors and nationalities and ethnicities and pull us together. And our default culture is not our background. Our default culture is our future. We're going to heaven together. Where every tribe, every kindred, every tongue with one voice is going to sing hallelujah. Woo! Can we praise him together right now? <laughs> Paul addressed it on Mars Hill. He said, You Greeks need to get off your high horse. The Arapagite, Athenian Supreme Court, all your intellectuals, get off your high horse. You think your blood is the best blood, you think your color is the best color. Get off your high horse is what he was saying. He said, let's just level this whole thing out. And say, it's one blood. One blood has purchased all of us. It's funny, man. The other day I'm, I'm I'm being a pastor here. I, was, I, I thought I'd probably teach for about 30 minutes. So John Michael and Ge- we were talking, John Michael and Gavin. Well look, John Michael is Scottish-Irish German. He's as white as white can be. Tall, brown eyes, white. Brielle is on the way. I cannot wait. Oh my Lord, I cannot wait. And we're like, well, is she gonna be more white? Is she gonna be more brown? Is she going to have blue eyes? I said, I think she's going to have these blue eyes. Is she going to? Here's all I know. When that baby comes out of the womb, look out. It's spending money time. <laughs> it's party time. It's cuddle up time. It's making pallets and slumber parties and curls in the hair. And Oh, I'm out of here. It's going to the ranch time. It's going through mud trails and letting those pigtails fly and mud flying all over us. Who cares? It's one blood that put us all together. God, I wish I had some help in this place. It's one blood. The whole Bible only knows Jew gentile, but when he became flesh, he tore the veil and he broke down any wall of separation and joined us all together. Can we give him some praise in this place? He's a mighty God. 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and bound their habitation and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not very far from any one of us. Man, do you hear that right there? He's he's in the front of an Athenian Supreme Court, but he's also got a Damaris, and he's got a Dionysius, and he knows right now in the crowd, people are smirking, and they're laughing, and they're mocking him, because the Bible tells us some mocked him, they laughed him. If he was an insecure leader, he would have bailed immediately. Well, they don't think, they don't want what I've got. He said, but all of a sudden, he looks out, and he's looking at this, this like the Sanhedrin or the, the Athenian Supreme Court, and all of a sudden, maybe he makes eye contact with Dionysius. Maybe he sees this brilliant intellectual man, but all of a sudden, when he says, the Lord is not very far from any one of us. And all of a sudden Dionysius took that personal and said, if that's true, and if he created this world, and he created me in his image, and if he's real, he can come into my life and he can save me. And sure enough, he was in that third category. So when you're teaching Bible studies and you're winning souls, you're always going to have three categories to deal with. Some are going to mock you. Some are going to say let's hear thee again on this matter But then you're going to have others that are going to believe and embrace it They're going to get baptized, they're going to get the Holy Ghost God's going to do some powerful things in their life I don't know about you but I want to be in the category that says I believe I am committed I am sold out. I have no question about who he is. I know what he's done for me. I know how he put my life back together again. And I am absolutely in love with Jesus Christ. And I am not looking for a place to turn around or compromise. I am absolutely in love with my master. And uh, I I don't complain about anything. I'm not looking to cut corners with holiness or anything. I love this life. Woo! It set us free. It set us free. He went on. He said, in him we live, we move, we have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said. Man, he's just going doctrine, 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 doctrine. Boom, he integrates a quote from one of his own poets. He knew what research and writing was about. I don't know if he followed APA format. But I promise you, he had gone to a university, as some say they went to the University of Tarsus, he was a writer, a prolific writer, prolific writer. He saw them out there, and, oh, yeah, yeah. how long not you speak our own language, boom, he quotes one of their own poets. He said to them, mm-hmm. even certain of your own poets have said, we are also his offspring. He took the theoretical, put theological over the theoretical, produce a practical outcome in apostolic revival. Did you get that? The danger is when you take the theoretical and you let the poets dictate the king. But as long as the king is dictating the theory and the theory helps us to win souls and build people's lives, then you can have two rivers that become one where theology drives theory that has an outcome to have revival like we have never had in all of our lives. We're committed to it. We're committed to it. He goes on to say, verse twenty-nine: For as much then we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven art by art and man's device. If we went back to that slide, we would see the temple. In Athens, man, he's he's leveling away, and there it is, man. He's in the Acropolis. He's, not far was Mars Hill, man. This is what this is the reference point as he's providing this presentation to them. He goes on to say, "This is powerful." He wasn't too worried about hurting their self-esteem. Verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believe, among them which was Dionysius the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So Paul walked out of that place, taught a Bible study. Many people walked out of the Bible study, never came back. But he had a nucleus of people that he could plant a church with. He was a committed man saying, give me one or two. Twenty of them may walk out, but if I can just get one that will embrace one God. If I can get one that... He was a committed man, and if he could do it in Athens. And then he went to Corinth. We can do it in Ulysses. We can do it in Dallas, Fort Worth. We can do it wherever God wants us to do it. Let me move quickly. Where Athena and Zeus dominated culture, one man who was committed to the truth made disciples, taught and established Christianity. He left Athens, he went to Corinth to win more souls. It was never about preaching at a conference. It was never about getting a position. It was never about having his name called. It was about going somewhere to win a soul. Human organization is good as long as it serves the purpose of God and within a human organization, we don't get distorted in our thinking and have ulterior motives to get positions and preach certain things and have our name called at certain things. That's where human organization can rip off what we're supposed to be doing. So we better make sure that the Bible and the work of God and the church of God is above human organization and we are accomplishing the will of God by winning souls. And our call is not about doing something where we're known and put a crown on our heads. Our call is about planting a church in Athens. Our call is about planting a church, teaching Bible studies in Corinth. Our call is about teaching Bible studies, having Sunday school evangelism and and, and going into more apartment complexes and and feeding families, families, feeding families coming in November. almost, uh, Brother Brother Dolores has a vision and he shared it with me and you'll hear more about it, but they've done it in tall. I think it's his uncle, your uncle has done it and he has people that are already sponsoring him with thousands of dollars, all they want to do is use the property out here and the goal is to feed about 500 to 1,000 people in Euless, you know what that is, somebody that's committed that says Calvary's right here and we want to reach out, it just got to get in our DNA, it's part of church culture, we are a discipleship-making church. It's gotta get in us every day, 24-7. You think adopting the school next door was big, and it was. We're about to blow that out of the water, and the roof is gonna come. No, not the roof. But we're gonna blow the ceiling off. Not, not the ceiling and not the roof, Lord. No, I didn't really mean that. But you know what I mean, Lord. I'm about uh, hold on, hold on. Lord, you know, I really don't want anything happening to that roof and that ceiling. But I do, metaphorically, wanna blow the top off. When you hear what they have been working on and everything that's gonna happen around Thanksgiving, when I tell, Saviano's restaurant, Saviano's restaurant has given them access to the restaurant and to the commercial kitchen to prepare all these meals told them, here are the keys. Big things are happening already. Come on, it's about discipleship making. It's about getting outside the walls. It's about reaching disadvantaged families. It's about taking a meal and putting it in their hands, but somewhere there's something transferred in the Holy Ghost that said that church loved me, that church cared. Paul sailed to Corinth, from Athens to Corinth, he was familiar with the sanctuary of Isis, the Egyptian goddess who was also worshipped by the Greeks. Let's take a look at that. If we can, go there. This probably would mean nothing to you and I, but this little structure right there, this little structure right there was dedicated, they say was dedicated to the Egyptian goddess Isis, unrelated to Isis, the terrorist group. Um, She was They say, and the Egyptians will say that, and if you do a little bit of homework and a little bit of research, people today still worship Isis or the the spirit of this woman, this goddess today. And if you just Google it and you scroll down about four or five, you'll see present day worship of Isis. Well, one of the things is that it was believed, they believed that she protected sailors and seafarers. So when you came into Corinth, you were met with idolatry. When you sailed from Athens to Corinth, you were met with this this symbol committed to Isis. She was the most powerful goddess of the ancient Egyptian religion. There is, encased in the pyramids, a collection of prayers, spells, and hymns that were used to protect a dead king or queen. She's known to be the goddess of the afterlife. This was in Corinth. So when Paul writes, when you have disciples in Corinth and then Paul later writes 1 Corinthians chapter two, this is what he says. And this is some of the background that was going on when he writes 1 Corinthians chapter two, verse one. And I brethren, When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Let me just tell you something. It's not always going to be cloud nine in the third heaven when we're having revival when we are, when we, the church is in the, and that was the, the whole purpose of the title slide, we, and it's like Scott Sistrunk said, the church is not birthed out of corporate America. The church is placed on a spiritual battlefield. And when you and I are in a battlefield, we're going to get weary, we're going to get confused, we're going to get dizzy, we're going to get tired, uh, we're going to have fear come on us, and this is what Paul, Paul just walked out of Athens not knowing if he was going to live or die. And he sails to Corinth, which was approximately 50 miles away and he goes here to Isis and he says look whatever you believe in and worship I really don't care I am not determined to know any of that all I want to do is preach Jesus Christ and him crucified in my weakness in my fear and in my trembling my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men. But your faith should be in the power of God. If we're going to have faith in the power of God, we need a spiritual demonstration. After the preaching, we need signs, wonders, and miracles. Not because we're seeking signs, wonders, and miracles. We're seeking Jesus who produces signs, wonders, and miracles. But when there is a demonstration of the Spirit, When God puts your marriage back together, when God pulls you off a drug addiction, can I get some help? When God straightens your thinking out, when God heals your life, the goddess Isis was known as a goddess of healing, but now Jesus is coming into Corinth healing and defeating the error. By virtue of teaching, preaching, and then demonstration of the Spirit following the teaching and preaching. Would you to stand with me. So he goes. He's a totally committed man. He goes from Athens. He deals with all of the idolatry and paganism there. He either goes by land or he sails some 50-something miles away. And he goes into Corinth. And there he meets the spirits of Isis. The Greeks had adopted some of that worship. and It was very eclectic or bringing a lot of beliefs together to make one belief system. And it was okay, whatever you... I want to ask a question. If Paul came to America, we know what happened in Athens and we saw the images. We know what happened in Corinth and we saw the images and we know that there were apostolic churches planted there. To the extent that he had to go back and write letters to keep them encouraged and strong doctrine, if Paul were to sail or fly into America, in 2023, what would he come to? Some of you know what this is. This is what happened at the Grammys. Sam Smith, who comes out with the devil hat, the whole audience at the Grammys had devil horns. You read the article, this, is a, this, is, this just happened. Listen to me, if Paul were to come to America today, I would argue that it would be almost worse than Athens or Corinth. If Paul were to come to America today, what idols and images would he see? He would turn to Hollywood. He would turn to the Grammys. He would turn to the secular and sinful agendas promoted in the arts, entertainment, and some branches of education. He would look at curricula being taught. He would look at those teaching the curricula. He would assess and examine entertainment. He would look and he would want to know what kind of music you're listening to. He would want to know what you're watching and how you're entertaining yourself so that he would know how to effectively teach and preach to build an apostolic church. Perhaps he would read some tweets. And according to one article, social media lit up Sunday night, Sunday night, after satanic imagery seemingly dominated one of the Grammy Awards performances with fire, horns, and so-called She-devils that took the stage in one of the most perverted, provocative, sinful, immoral, sick displays of flesh that had given themselves over totally to debauchery and the devil himself. After the performance ended, Grammy's host Trevor Noah addressed the themes pretending to be on a phone call with his mother. No, mom, it wasn't actual, it wasn't the actual devil, he said, responding to his mother's faux concern. Yeah, you did warn me about Hollywood, Noah concluded. She said she'd be praying for all of us. That's America. That's the world we're living in, folks. Are we committed to the call? Are we committed? If we could take the church, if we could take the picture of this church, are we committed to taking the church and putting it right on top of that image and saying we're going nowhere. If they're that bold, then the church can be that bold. If Paul was committed in Athens and Corinth, he would be committed in America. He would not water down what he preached in Corinth. He would not water down what he preached in Athens. He would not water down what he preached to the Philippians and he would not water down what he would preach in America. Every Bible teacher, every Sunday school teacher, every Bible study teacher, every mom, every dad, every parent, come on church. Come on church, we must be committed to close here with Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And to the angel or pastor, to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. This is Jesus. Jesus is looking at the church and examining it. He's analyzing, examining it, and he gives a commendation and he gives a stiff rebuke to him. What would... If he examined the seven churches of Revelation, what would, how would he address us today? How would he address the churches in America today? Here's what he said to Pergamos. Pergamum, Pergamos, same thing. Don't get confused with the different terms. The atmosphere of, city, of the city was filled with intermarriage that watered down the truth, immoral living, and false doctrine. It was strongly opposed to the church. I'll read it to you. He said, I know thy works... Where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is. Can we go back to the image that we just saw? The Grammys. And that's, hey, look, that's mild. Don't, do not go research it. Please do not. You don't even want to read about it, I promise. Take my word for it. I was as brief as I could be. I avoided a lot of sites. Completely avoided it. In fact, I went to Christian sites that were analyzing it. Don't do it. I asked Ron, because actually I think this picture was one that Ted Cruz had posted. Evil. This is evil. I wanted to remove that. And so I asked Brother Trimmer, I said, Brother Trimmer, can you just remove Ted Cruz's quote? Let's get that out of there. Just, just, let's just put the picture up. And he said, Pastor, it's not often that I say this, but I need to stop right now because of things that fast, 30 seconds that I was exposed to in just researching everything that went on at the Grammys. So don't go there. Don't, don't, don't do that. But look at the image, and I'm going to read the passage of Scripture again. These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. You talk about a committed man. They died before they got there. Who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Antipas's name means against all that the world was trying to bring into the church. We need some Antipas men and women in the church that are against all of that. Not value neutral. Not a Sam Smith who is a non-binary devil with a transgender individual promoting filth. That's not funny. That's not entertainment. That's not art. That's from hell. That's from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. It is a lie of the devil. And you and I better be committed. Mom and dad, you better know what's going on in that home. Mom and dad, you better know what's going on on their phones. You have the right if it's three o'clock in the morning to walk into that room and demand that you see everything on that phone. Devil, you're not coming into my house. You're not coming into the church. We're gonna build an apostolic church if Satan decides to move into Ulyss. So are, does, that a, does that put fear in you? Well, I'll be real honest with you. I don't want to die prematurely. I mean, I've like literally thought this stuff through. Used to, we would have laughed about it. But as a preacher now, of one God apostolic message, where supposedly somebody drove to our house and threw voodoo dolls in our yard because they got mad at me. Yes, I start thinking about this stuff. With church shootings going on and school shootings going on and all kinds of stuff going on. You better believe I think about this stuff. You mean you, hell's going to move in and you're going to say, uh uh-uh, I'm against everything. And they're going to go, oh, well, hallelujah, Carl McLaughlin, we're glad you're against us. We support you in being against us. No. That spirit will attach to a human being come through the church. Sit down right there on that pew. And groom and start grooming you. A spirit will look for two people in the church, new converts that don't know better, need to be taught. That's why we have take root class. That's why we teach doctrine. So that by virtue of teaching doctrine, you have a spirit of discernment by virtue of the truth. And those who are weak, new converts and weak saints that have been in the church for a long time, those spirits will come in and start grooming you. And if you give heed to them and you listen to them, they will attach. They'll give you some candy. And say, don't tell anybody. But we'll meet again here next week. And I'll have some more. said to this same church I commend you for this he said but I have someone to get. I rebuke you because you have allowed Balaam and the doctrine of Balaam to come into the church and the spirit of the Nicolaitans to come in and seduce the people angel pastor that's what he said pastor you didn't have a backbone because you knew good and well when they started unequal yokes and marrying people who did were not born again of water and spirit and so that intermarriage between error and truth was bringing compromise inside of the church. This was the doctrine of Balaam, to seduce the people. And when that started happening and truth got watered down, sexual immorality started breaking out into the church. And this is what he said, I, I'm, I'm, I am correcting you right now, you need to repent, is what he said. And he said, the spirit of the Nicolaitans that you've allowed into the church, I hate, go look at look at what he said about it. Jesus examined him, he said, I hate that spirit. The spirit of the Nicolation. And he points to the pastor. Listen to me as your pastor. I love every human being in the world. And I am the biggest optimist in the world. And I believe you can bring me any problem and through the cross of Calvary and the Holy Ghost power, we can solve anything. But if an individual opposes the truth, and tries to bring immorality into this church, I've already died, folks. I died way back there in my 20s, and I made a promise to the Lord I would not compromise these things. So I don't have the luxury sometimes of when I'm voodoo dolls are going out, stuff like that's going on, all kinds of junk. What pastor do this time? What happened? What did he say this time? I can promise you this, I won't be perfect, I'm gonna make some mistakes, but, but this is one thing you can count on me. I will not compromise this book. I will not compromise one God. It will make people mad. I will stand up for equal yokes in marriage. I will stand up for people who embrace the truth, the lifestyle of holiness, and sanction that before the Lord. If they do not, I will not stand up and sanction a marriage. That makes people mad. I've made people mad because I've taken that stand. I understand. I don't do it in a mean way or a malicious way. But if you'll notice who Jesus addressed, he addressed the angel of the church. He didn't walk through the pew and say, you saints. He said, I'm going to start right here. Build the church. You can do it. If he can do it in Athens, you can do it in your school. We can do it in the university. You don't have to, you don't have to go to a university and backslide and compromise. You can make it and be strong apostolic. Get the doctrine in your spirit. go in in the passenger seat I know as a student you're supposed to go in as the passenger and in theory and in academia you're the passenger in theology and doctrine you're never the passenger you are the driver of theology and you are the driver of doctrine I don't care how brilliant how smart I don't care what kind of initials they have behind their name if they oppose the authority of the Bible they are in the passenger seat you're in the driver's seat and you don't have to have a PhD or an EDD in theology to believe that. All you've got to do is hang on to one God, baptism in the name of Jesus, Holy Ghost, and live a holy life. You're in the driver's seat and you never compromise that. You never compromise that. You never compromise that. You hold on to the truth. You don't have to let the babblings of the world put some seed thought in your mind and backslide 20 years later because you let some weird error grow inside of you. Thank you so much for listening. Every service here at CPC helps us to grow better together. If you would like to stay connected with the church, podcast, and upcoming events, you can visit us at calvaryelist.org or on social media, Facebook, and Instagram at Calvary Pentecostal Church. God bless.